He's just another fighter. No, he ain't just another fighter. This guy is a wrecking machine, and he's hungry. Hova told us to brush that dirt off our shoulders, but the burden of risk is getting heavy like boulders. This time of the year, when the market gets colder, bulls feeling fatigue as this rally gets older, profits better than expected, but sales getting slower. Bond yields spiking like Lee as the U.S. debt gets lowered. Somebody tell Fitch that the debt crisis is over. Better get on the bus or take a red hook summer, because we got game. Let me hear the funky drummer, keeping that beat alive. But who's going to drive the next leg of this rally? We're not ready for the finale. Is this just a pause in the cycle, a reversion to the mean, or a full throttle reversal? The end of the scene, or more like a switch in the tracks, a time to sit back and let recent gains settle, sharpen up the metal, flush out the fluid, squeeze out the excess, fire up the engines on the Investopedia Express. Welcome back and welcome aboard and roll down the window because the bears are passing gas. Okay, maybe not that bad, but it didn't smell good. That red-hot summer rally we've been baking in, it fizzled last week amid weaker-than-expected earnings from Apple, a kind of ho-hum July jobs report that showed the pace of hiring continues to slow, and a U.S. credit rating downgrade by Fitch that seemed to come a couple of months too late. We're going to break that down in a minute, but that downgrade did send bond yields on a pretty wild ride. The yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury swung nearly 13 basis points, or 1.3%, to end the week, just over 4%, as investors tried to assess the damage. For the week, the Dow dropped 1.1%, the S&P 500 slipped 2.3%, and the Nasdaq tumbled 2.8%. The S&P and the Nasdaq were pulled lower by shares of Apple, the heaviest component in those market-weighted indexes, as the iPhone maker forecast a decline in revenue for the September quarter. That would be four straight quarters of revenue declines for Apple, and investors did not like the taste of that at all, setting the stock down nearly 5% on Friday. That was its largest loss since last September. Shares of Apple, though, are up 40% so far this year, to be sure, and it's been a big driver of overall returns. But Friday's pullback was felt throughout the markets. And it comes at a tricky time for the overall stock market, as August and September have historically been the weakest two-month stretch for stocks going all the way back to 1950. And after a 19% rally for the S&P 500, 500, that has taken us about 5 percentage points away from new all-time highs, some would say the market was due for a breather. And when the market does fall in August, the average drawdown is around 3.2%. So maybe sell in May and go away has been replaced by sell in August and hope for the best. And that leads us straight into our big three for the week. Sarkali. Number one, about that credit rating downgrade. Fitch, which is one of the main three credit rating agencies, which includes Standard & Poor's and Moody's, downgraded the U.S. credit rating from AAA to AA+. This had a lot of us scratching our heads, since Fitch did warn back in May that it might put the U.S. on credit downgrade watch amid the brutal battle to raise the debt ceiling. But as you remember, Congress did vote to raise the debt ceiling all the way out to 2025. So why the downgrade now? In his report, Fitch cited, quote, the repeated debt limit political standoffs and last-minute resolutions have eroded confidence in fiscal management. Plus, Fitch cited excessive government spending, which is 100% true, and the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol by the supporters of former President Trump. Translation, Fitch thinks our political house is a mess. We overspend, and the political and social climate in this country is toxic. No argument there, but the timing of the downgrade had everyone from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen to Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon scratching their heads. Either Fitch is downgrading the U.S. credit rating because it fears the worst is yet to come, or it's giving the U.S. a traffic ticket for a red light the country sped through a few months ago. It's hard to tell. But here's why it matters. Government bonds that receive higher ratings from agencies like Fitch are considered investment grade and are unlikely to default. 
Until last week, the U.S. held the AAA rating from Fitch and Moody's for decades. Standard & Poor's downgraded the U.S. credit rating from AAA to AA Plus back in 2011 during that debt ceiling crisis. AAA bonds typically pay lower rates than riskier debt, but are considered much safer. The AAA rating represents a virtual guarantee that an issuer will never run out of money to pay its debts. Even with $32 trillion in debt, buyers of U.S. government bonds, which include institutional investors, pension funds, foreign governments, and individual investors like us, believe in the full faith and credit of the United States government. That's why our bonds are the most widely held, widely trusted assets on the planet. The problem is, many of those aforementioned investors will only buy AAA-rated government bonds, so a downgrade to the U.S. credit rating may dissuade them from buying new issues of government bonds. And guess what? The U.S. Treasury is issuing a lot of new bonds right now to pay for our mounting obligations. The Treasury plans to sell $103 billion of longer-term securities at its so-called quarterly refunding auctions this week, much more than what was expected, and then it plans to issue about a trillion dollars in new bonds overall this quarter. If the appetite wanes for those bonds given this downgrade, or there's more doubts about the ability of the government to control the ballooning deficit, bond yields are going to spike, and that will drive interest rates higher on everything from mortgages to car loans and credit cards. And oh yeah, spending is not coming under control. As part of the debt ceiling agreement reached in June, there are 12 new spending bills coming up for debate by September 30th, the end of the fiscal year for the U.S. government. If they don't get passed, we could very well see a government shutdown come October 1st. Looking at things that way, the Fitch downgrade makes a little more sense, even if it feels a little late. And number two, Back to those bond yields for a second. As mentioned, yields on the 10-year U.S. Treasury spiked last week amid the Fitch downgrade, and more signs of both inflation and interest rates are going to remain higher for longer. The yield on the 10-year came within spitting distance of 4.2%, the 14-year high it reached last October as the stock market was bottoming. Meanwhile, the yields on short-term Treasury bonds, like the 2-year, are starting to fall as more and more investors think the U.S. will avoid a recession. A spike in long bond yields amid a decline in short-term bond yields is what is known as a bear steepening. In this case, yields on shorter-term treasuries climbed well above those of long-term bonds a few months ago. Remember that massive yield curve inversion as a lot of investors were betting on a recession? Well, not anymore. Now, the opposite is happening. Signals from the Fed that it is at or near the end of its rate-raising campaign have strengthened shorter-term treasuries. Since the Fed's rate-hiking campaign didn't produce a recession, at least not yet, it may very well keep rates higher for longer, and that might take some getting used to for investors who may have thought the Fed would be slashing rates in early 2024. Stocks get all the attention, but bonds still run things around here. And number three, you, how are you feeling? Well, we just wrapped up our latest investor sentiment survey of our listeners and newsletter readers, and many of you, including me, have gotten pretty comfortable with the rally across the stock market. Less of us, around 27%, expect the market to decline 5% or more over the next six months, while 27% expect the market to rise 5% or more in that time frame. That's actually a meaningful increase from when we surveyed you back in May. That said, only 21% think the stock market is fairly valued, while nearly half think it's overvalued, especially in AI and mega cap stocks. Certificates of deposit are still pretty popular, but if you had an extra 10 grand, stocks would be the most popular choice for that windfall. While fewer of us expect a recession by the end of the year, more of us are worried about U.S.-China relations, Russia's continued war in Ukraine, and inflation than things like more bank failures and a credit rating downgrade. We also asked you if you could buy and hold one stock, just one stock for the next 10 years, what stock would that be? The overwhelming choice? Apple, of course, followed by Microsoft and Berkshire Hathaway, which is, of course, the largest owner of Apple shares. There's a lot riding on that stock right now. Let's get set up for the week ahead, and earnings is still the main course, although the pace of reports will slow a bit this week. We'll hear results from widely held companies including UPS, Disney, Tyson Foods, and Alibaba, to name a few. I wonder if we'll get any updates on Disney's plan to spin off some of its broadcast assets this week. Keep an ear out for that. 
As for those earnings, so far just under 80% of companies in the S&P 500 have beaten second quarter consensus earnings per share estimates, while only 59% of firms have beaten revenue expectations. That's actually a low beat rate, according to our friends at FactSet, but that wasn't disturbing investors until last week anyway. We'll see what this week brings. The bond market could also be in the spotlight this week, as mentioned earlier, with the auctions of 3- and 10-year notes and 30-year bonds going off at higher amounts than originally forecast as yields on bonds rise. On the economic front, we'll get the latest updates on inflation with the Consumer Price Index on Thursday and the Producer Price Index on Friday. Consumer prices likely rose 0.2% last month, matching June's rate, and are likely up 3.3% on an annual basis. That, my friends, would be an increase from June's 3% annual rate, and higher gas prices might have something to do with it. Core inflation, which excludes volatile food and energy costs, was likely unchanged at 4.8%. That's the slowest pace since October of 2021. Producer prices are expected to have risen 0.2% last month as well, after rising 0.1% in June. Year over year, they're likely up 0.7% compared to an annual gain of just under 0.1% in June, which marked the smallest increase since a decline in August of 2020. Also on Friday, the University of Michigan will release the preliminary August reading of its Consumer Sentiment Index. That may drop a little bit from last month, which was the highest level, by the way, in two years, as consumers were becoming more optimistic on the economy and their finances amid slowing inflation and a strong jobs market. Valuations, expectations, and asset allocation. Those are the three legs of the stool that long-term investors like us are sitting upon, and we're constantly trying to find the right balance. The problem is that valuations and expectations are constantly changing, forcing us to readjust our asset allocation. Well, after a pretty strong bull market in stocks amid Fed rate hikes, inflation, geopolitical uncertainty, and a basket of other balance breakers, where can we find stability now? It's a tricky balancing act, so we're bringing in one of our favorite strategists back on board. Lindsay Bell is the chief strategist at 248 Ventures and one of those voices of reason we seek in times like these. Welcome back to The Express, Lindsay. So good to see you. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So are you surprised at all about the strength and breadth of the stock market rally so far this year? It's been pretty impressive and pretty broad lately. Yeah, I mean, we came into this year and no one expected this, right? Recession, recession, recession was the beating drum that we heard. So to see a 19% rally in the first half of the year uh, has been quite impressive. But the consumer had been resilient throughout this entire process. Corporations and the consumer both had better balance sheets coming into the year. And so I'm not entirely surprised that they've been able to withstand the swift monetary tightening that we've seen over the last uh, year and a half, especially when you couple that with the fiscal stimulus that we've seen. So I'm not surprised at where we're at now. We've seen a loosening of supply chains. We've seen inflation start to come down. These are all positive things that bode well for the market here. And it, because of that, We've been able to see the rally broaden out. We, we started the year with the beaten down tech sector really leading the way because investors had remembered that, hey, this is a defensive sector in periods of uncertainty because technology is becoming more entwined and part of our everyday life. And there was value there after the sector got so beaten up. But now it's, we've been able to broaden that out if we've got, as we've got confirmation that this economic expansion is real and it's going to benefit other parts of the economy, not just the defensive ones. Yeah, we've got what we call Dow theory going on with the transports rallying, with the industrials rallying. You really have this broadening 
of the sectors and what we call market breadth. And I think you noted recently, nine out of the 11 sectors in the S&P 500 are actually approaching or near 52-week highs. So there is that broad strength there. Somebody needs to tell Fitch that the economy is doing a little bit better given that credit rating downgrade. How big of a deal is that? Big deal, no deal. Why are they doing this lightly? It's like getting a speeding ticket for a light you ran two months ago. Oh, I know. I, I think what happened was the market reacted quite negatively to the announcement because investors got caught flat-footed. They weren't expecting it. Of course, Fitch put the negative watch on their rating earlier in the year in May, but I don't think anyone expected the downgrade to actually come. And the timing is kind of questionable. Janet Yellen pointed that out. I mean, the, the debt to GDP has actually been coming down. I think the market's going to take some time to digest it. It came at a seasonally weak period of the year. As you know, August and September tend to be underperformers, especially when you get a run-up like what we've seen. So I think some pressure now, this being a little bit of an overhang, could be natural at this point in time. I think it kind of serves as a reminder that, that there could be a government shutdown at the end of September, early October, when the budget talks begin again. It's a reminder to investors that there are risks out there in the market, especially after you have such a big run and valuations have gotten so stretched. And it's okay to take a breather in the market. It actually might create opportunity. That's what markets are all about. They don't go up in a straight line. There are dips, but this has been a pretty impressive and broad rally. Well, you talk to a lot of investors, Lindsay, institutional high net worth clients. What's their greatest fear right now? You know, surprisingly, a lot of folks are worried that they missed the bull run of this year. They've been sitting on the sidelines. They got really scared last year when we saw the big drawdown in the market and they missed the pop of the last six, seven months. So I think they're looking for a place to get into the market. And so this is where I say, don't sit on your hands. If you've got some dry powder on the sidelines, get in now, because I do think that the market even if we take a breather here, we go down a little bit, I think we'll be able to revive into the end of the year. So I, I hear more people worried that they missed the rally and it's too late. Yeah, I, I feel that as well. And you can see it in, in a lot of the searches on Investopedia. People are like, how do I take advantage of this now? So we've gone from Tina, there is no alternative to Tara, right? There are lots of alternatives out there, real alternatives. And we're talking about CDs, money market funds, high yield savings, all yielding somewhere between four and 5%. A lot of money was parked there. We know there's about $5 trillion in money markets that's just been sitting there. Again, that dry powder you talked about. Are big investors, institutional investors or high net worth clients comfortable with four to 5%? Or are they, as you mentioned, feeling that FOMO, like, ah, I know the market's doing better than this. I should be too. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a bit of a sense of a relief that they can earn money on that cash at this point in time. But there still is is the FOMO aspect of this too, because the market has elevated itself so significantly that they want to get back involved because the returns over the last six to seven months, like I said, have been just outstanding. And so they've missed out on that. And usually once you have a period like that, usually there's a reversion to the mean, right? So I think that valuations are looking stretched and they're telling us that growth could slow going forward. And so it is a precarious place to be, but it is nice to have that alternative for cash if you're a big investment manager. And you mentioned corporations, they're doing a lot better. We're in the middle of earnings season right now. And as usual, companies are exceeding forecasts, but that's the game that's usually played around every quarter this time of the year, every quarter where, you know, the forecasts are low, companies blow out expectations, you get a little pop in the stock and off we go. Are you surprised at all by the strength of corporate balance sheets right now and profits, or is it really the spending that has enabled them to have this recovery? 
No, I'm not surprised. I mean, companies at the beginning of the pandemic, when rates were cut to zero, they took advantage of that environment. They refinanced the debt that they had. They took on extra debt to prepare themselves, very low interest rates to prepare themselves for what could have been a much more difficult storm for them. So their balance sheets are, are in great shape and at low interest rates. So I'm not surprised at the strength that we're seeing in the earnings season. I think what has caught some investors off guard is while earnings growth is declining in the second quarter, it should be the bottom of the declines. We haven't seen numbers cut as significantly going into the quarter. And so I think that has caught people off base, especially because over the last couple of years, you saw numbers going up going into the reporting period, which is the actually, that's the unusual thing. What we saw this quarter was a return to normal. Numbers get cut, companies beat. And the positive that I've seen in the second half is the revisions upward for the second half of the year. Those have been much better than expected because usually as earnings season comes out, that gives analysts another excuse to cut numbers in the out quarters. And we're not seeing that. They're actually raising numbers, especially in some of the high-flying sectors that we've seen consumer discretionary tech communication services. So that's been a positive. Yeah. Analysts are revising higher. Companies are actually, by and large, giving better forecasts. And you're not hearing the doomsday words like recession, like we uh, were in the past few quarters or other things like that. So that words matter. And so these words add a little bit of confidence to investor sentiment. Well, we're running our investor sentiment survey right now. We do it every couple of months. You're a black belt strategist. I'd love to throw some questions at you just to get your take on it and see how they are going to match up with what our readers are saying. So what do you, Lindsay Bell, think the S&P 500 returns will be over the the next six months, down 10% or more, down five to 10%, down somewhere between zero and five, flat, up five, up five to 10 or more. What's your best guess? And I know it's a guessing game right now on where we'll be six months out. It is a guessing game. Like I said earlier, I think there's going to be a reversion to the mean. I think over the next uh, eight to 12 months, you can see the market up in total seven to 8%, which is average. We've had a wild couple years of up and down. I think earnings are going to return to normal type of growth. And I think the market should do the same. It would be a reversion to the mean, a little bit more normalization. And maybe we're getting to that normalization also with interest rates. Uh, we may hit that terminal rate. Maybe it's going to be 6%, but they're eventually predicted to come down next year. And inflation, we'd like that back where it usually hangs out. The average is around 2.7%. So maybe we will get back to some normalcy here. All right, looking out 10 years now, what do you think the average annual S&P 500 re returns will be? Down 10% or more, down 5% flat. Do you believe we're going to be in that 8 to 10% average gain if you go out a decade? Yeah, I think that that the higher level around the 10% range could be a possibility over the next 10 years. And I think that's because the economy has become, it just like all of us, has become much more efficient and productive with the use of technology. So that's going to help not only companies, but individuals utilize their cash a lot more efficiently. I think it's going to help operating margins stay at elevated levels. So I just see the higher level of growth in the next 10 years that we've seen over the last five to 10 years. From your lips to the market's ears, we would love to see that. Do you believe that the U.S. stock market is overvalued right now if you look at the S&P 500? 
I don't believe the U.S. market is overvalued. Yes, you know, you're looking at a near 20 times multiple on a forward PE basis for the S&P 500, which is stretched versus its historical average. But I just talked about productivity and economic improvement. And in that type of environment, especially as inflation comes down and interest rates come down, you can see higher multiples. It's not that stretched from the 16, 17 time historical average. So I don't think it's overvalued. I think that it could be more of a stock pickers market at this point in time. I think there's a lot of value in some of the smaller stocks or less talked about stocks, perhaps on uh, the financial media. So I think there's opportunity within the market for sure. Do you think any of these sectors of the stock market are currently overvalued? Let me give you some choices here. Mega cap tech, Internet and communications, those are the metas of the world, the alphabets of the world. AI-related stocks, and everybody wants to be an AI-related stock today. Healthcare, housing, staples, or none of the above. Are any of those sectors, do you think, overblown? You know, I think the mega cap tech stocks, they're getting a bit stretched at this point in time. And you're starting to see them take a bit of a breather. I mean, Microsoft is a great example with earnings season. They beat on top and bottom lines, but the outlook wasn't perfect and you know it didn't blow people out of the water. So you saw a negative reaction there. But someone like Ameta, whose stock has been beaten down, I mean, it's had a good run this year, but be prior to that, it's been beaten down quite significantly. They're changing their operational strategy and they have growth to look forward to. That's a stock that maybe has more room to run, for example. So I think, again, within a lot of these sectors, it's finding the individual opportunity. But there might be some more opportunity in, say, the housing names, even though some of that has run. I think that economic data is going to continue to support upside there. AI, that's a tough call. Those stocks have run a lot, but I think the ecosystem of AIs, people need to think about maybe not the d- direct obvious names that have run that, that are going to be the AI winners, but the ecosystem around those stocks, I think could be opportunity. And I do think that when I look at earnings for some of those stocks, it doesn't completely account for the opportunity that does exist. So I think there's probably more opportunity in AI. So I wouldn't quit on that sector just yet. Let's talk about concerns. Are you concerned about any of the following? And I'll give you some choices here. Impacting returns in the S&P 500 over the next 12 months. Inflation, a recession, US-China relations, persistently high interest rates, Russia's war in Ukraine, a debt ceiling downgrade, more bank failures, or stagflation, or the US dollar losing reserve currency status through any of those concern you in terms of returns over the next 12 months? I think the US China relations is something that we definitely have to keep an eye on because there's been a tug of war there for a long time and it has added turbulence to the market over time and it, it's an important relationship. So I think that's one. I think the bank failures thing, we've moved this earnings season again, the banks have done phenomenal, even the regional smaller banks that, that we might have been concerned about. But it's something that you just want to keep in the back of your mind because no one expected what we had at the beginning of the year. So it was just kind of like a reminder of keep your eye out for things that you might not be thinking about. And then stagflation, though, is probably would be at the top of my list. We've seen inflation come down, but there is that concern that it could kind of hold at a higher level than what we've been used to. Those are the things that I think I would highlight. Recession, not really worried about over the next 12 months. Interest rates, I think those will come down and the Fed's going to be very careful about making sure that that doesn't impact the economic and market environment going forward. So that's kind of where my head's at. 
Yeah, we'd like a nice, soft, fluffy landing if possible. If they can engineer that, we shall see. All right, this is a very popular question we get on Investopedia every single month. I would love your take on it. And the answer for you and for me is going to be very different from the answer for everybody out there. But it's such a personal question. That's why we call it personal finance, right? Everything is personal. But what would you do with an extra 10 grand right now? Extra 10,000 bucks if it came to you as a gift or you ended up getting a raise or if you just had that extra 10 Gs, where would you put it? What would you do with it? I think that's such a great question. But to your point, it, it is a very personal question too. You really have to take your whole situation into consideration and your hopes and dreams and, and everything. For me right now, I think I would put a portion of it, maybe a third into cash just for safe haven purposes. And then the rest of it right now, given where I'm at in my life and my career is I would invest it in myself. You know, I'm just starting up my own thing here and, you know, I'm going to bet on myself. And I think the returns on that are going to be better than the stock market over the next 12 months. <laughs> yeah, can I buy shares in that as well? Is there a Lindsay Bell ETF running around because I want to go long that myself? <laughs> I got a lot of faith in you and I know you're going to go on to great things. All right. Well, we always ask our guests this and I would love your take. You know, Investopedia was built on our investment terms and our dictionary. I'd love to know your favorite investment term, either overall or just at the moment. What's the one that just resonates with Lindsay Bell? Right now, it's been, uh, and you use the term in this conversation, is soft landing. It kind of makes me giggle when I hear soft landing. And it's like this big debate it has been for years, soft landing versus hard landing versus no landing. That's also, that's almost an even funnier one. I just think that the economy needs to continue to recover and improve. And it's not necessarily needs to be a landing driving an airplane. <laughs> and so I just think it, it just makes me smile. Yeah, me too. And again, we'd like that soft, cushy landing. A feather bed would be nice or some cotton candy would be great as well. Lindsay, we will link to your social media accounts so we know that newsletter is coming soon. And folks, you got to follow Lindsay Bell for great strategy, great advice, and also great perspective. That's why we have her on the Investopedia Express. So good to see you again, my friend. Lindsay Bell, the Chief Strategist at 248 Ventures. Thanks for rejoining the Investopedia Express. Thanks for having me. It's terminology time, time for us to get smart with the investing and finance term we need to know this week. And this week's term comes to us from Jaybird7 on Instagram, who suggests relative valuation. We love that term given all the earnings reports we're digging through this summer. Relative valuation or relative value is a method of determining an asset's worth that takes into account the value of similar assets. This is in contrast with absolute value, which only looks at an asset's intrinsic value and does not compare it to other assets. The price to earnings or PE ratio is a popular valuation method that you can use to measure the relative value of stocks, but you can also use metrics like price to sales, margins, engagement, and other relevant financial measures that help determine whether an asset is over, under, or fairly valued against its peers. Great suggestion, Jaybird7. We appreciate you. We're going to let President Obama take us out this week. Obama was president in 2011, the last time the U.S. lost its AAA credit rating amid a bitter battle over the debt ceiling. Here's the president in a press conference following that downgrade. I know a lot of people are worried about the future, but here's what I also know. There will always be economic factors that we can't control. Earthquakes, spikes in oil prices, slowdowns in other parts of the world. But how we respond to those tests, that's entirely up to us. Markets will rise and fall, but this is the United States of America. No matter what some agency may say, we've always been 
and always will be a AAA country. Well, I guess we won't always be a AAA country, but does that matter like it used to? We shall see. Thanks, as always, for joining us this week, and special thanks to Lindsay Bell for coming back aboard the Express to share her prescient perspective. We'll link to her blog and all the reports we cited on today's show in the show notes wherever you ride the Express and on investopedia.com slash the Express podcast. And we'll talk again a little further on down the line. Yeah.